Good afternoon. This is Richard Shu, host of Shu Untied, where I interview lawyers of their interesting side hobbies.、Uh, today, I'm very pleased and honored to have as my guest、uh, Professor Paul Goldstein at Stanford Law School. Paul, welcome to the show. Thanks very much, Richard. So, before we get into your sort of side hobby, tell me real briefly what do you teach at Stanford? I teach in the copyright area at Stanford.、Uh, I teach a basic course in copyright. I、uh, teach a course in international and comparative copyright. And this year, I'm doing what we call a practicum, a policy practicum in copyright, looking at a set of policy issues where our client is the United States Copyright Office and needs some help from some smart Stanford law students on issues relating to registration and ownership.、Hmm. So now you've obviously written a lot of treatises, books on copyright. What made you decide to dabble, I guess, in some legal fiction, as I understand it? Yeah. Well, this really isn't dabbling. I know that you talk about law professors and lawyers and and their hobbies. No.、Uh, fiction writing is actually not a hobby、oh. for me.、Uh, it's no more a hobby for me than teaching law or practicing law.、Hmm. It's.、Uh, I am a. One of my professions is as a writer. And as you say, I've written treatises, but I also、uh, write fiction professionally,、uh, much as I teach professionally and practice professionally. I do have a hobby, but it's not as exotic as collecting <laughs> slinkies.、Uh, it's I'm a old school. Black and white darkroom photographer. Oh, interesting! Now that qualifies as a hobby. That does qualify as a hobby. Well, maybe we'll get to that in a second. But tell me quickly. So, when did you start writing fiction? I started writing fiction probably when I was, I think it's age thirteen.、Huh. I started my first novel.、Uh, it ended disastrously after one page.、Uh, it was a wonderful idea for a novel. Still is.、Uh, it was to take. Uh, there's a Rembrandt painting called the Syndics of the Drapers Guild、right. that I knew. It was also the picture that appears on Dutch master cigar boxes, and I was going to write a novel about these.、Uh, I think it was seven or eight men and their histories and what was going on. I got a page into it and stopped and told my mom, who was a great fiction reader, that I was stuck. And she says, "What do you know about 17th century Holland?" And I said, "Absolutely nothing." And she said, "Well, write what you know about, which is a long way around answering your question." Which I continue writing stories,、uh, never another novel.、Uh, but it wasn't until the mid '90s I was working on a case、uh, representing MGM,、mm-hmm. protecting their James Bond franchise、mm-hmm. uh, against an attack on it by、uh, Columbia. Pictures,、uh, and in the middle of the case, which we won, but in the middle of the case, I said, you know, this would be a fascinating novel if I could just get some of the technical complexities out of it. The characters are there,、uh, the issues are there, and that became the basis for the first novel.、Hmm. What was the name of that novel? That was Errors and Omissions. And what was it? So tell me a little bit about the storyline of that novel. The storyline of the novel is about a,、uh, it, technically speaking, for a copyright lawyer, it's about the work for hire doctrine.、Hmm. But obviously, I couldn't talk about work for hire in a novel. You have to make it dramatic. 
And so what it was about was a quest to discover, on the part of the hero, uh, who is an IP lawyer, a quest to discover who the real author was of the original spy catcher, which was the, uh, the James Bond, uh, the, the fictional version of the James Bond franchise, who the original author was. Hmm. And as my hero, Michael Seeley, unpeeled the, the layers, the uh, blacklist in Hollywood became prominent. Uh, he unpeels further and reaches back to the Holocaust period, uh, the Second World War in Europe, hmm. and just keeps peeling back farther and farther to find out who hmm. really was behind the story and what the story behind the story hmm. was. So was it sort of a, like a legal thrill? Was it sort it of was a, a legal thriller? Yeah, okay, right. Uh, I, it, that's a term that I really don't like yeah. because it embraces or attempts to embrace so many different kinds of books. I, uh, and so when like Publishers Weekly has given me these wonderful reviews, I get starred reviews for the novels, but they seem almost apologetic in saying, this is a legal thriller, but it's in the school of Scott Turow rather than John Grisham. <laughs> uh, so it's, you know, mm. th- these are novels that have deep legal themes, certainly. Um, the thriller aspect is they are page turners. I mm. think there's a plot, there's a good plot in mm. each of them mm. and complications and conflict. But when I think of thrillers, I think of somebody chasing down a street after, after right. someone else and there really aren't any mm. of those kinds of chases. So how many novels have you written then since then? <laughs> so there are three novels in the Michael Seeley series, my IP an IP litigator like you. Yeah. Uh, and there's Errors and Omissions, which has copyright as a theme, A Patent Lie, uh, which has, is based in uh, Northern California, uh, Northern District of California. It's a trial case, a patent trial case. Uh, there's Havana Requiem, which takes Sealy to Havana, which is a copyright case. I'm presently working on the fourth in the series, which finally I figured out a good story for trademark. You, know, you have copyright, patent, and now uh, I have a trademark story that I'm having a lot of fun with. Uh, in between that, there's a book. I, I decided to do a standalone novel as well, uh, and that will be coming out in February. Hmm. It's called Secret Justice. It's about a new justice on the U.S. Supreme Court Hmm. uh, who is wrestling with a big secret that intersects with a couple of the cases before the court. Hmm. How far along is that book? That's done. Uh, uh, Now I'm just waiting for it to come out. Yeah, so of all the books you, editing, of all the books that you've written, which one is kind of your favorite, or which one did you enjoy writing the most? Let's put it that way. Uh, the one I enjoy writing the most is the one I'm working on right now, but that's always the case. I see. Interesting. And uh, the the pleasures, of, and I say it is a professional activity, which is not to say uh, it's an unpleasurable one. I mean, I enjoy teaching and I enjoy practicing uh, as well. But there is nothing quite like getting lost in the pages of a novel hmm. you're writing hmm. and looking up 
uh, at the clock and saying, my God, five hours just went by. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Now, how do you compare writing fiction with all the non uh, the yeah. legal scholars that you write? I mean, do you find the legal stuff just boring compared to that, or how do you compare those two? Not at all. Uh, it's interesting. It's a great question. Because I'll find if I'm writing, uh, you know, up a case for the treatise, I, mm-hmm. I update the treatise twice a year, and uh, yeah, I have a problem with a case, and so as I'm writing about the case, ideas are coming to me. It's the act of putting, and it's pencil to page. I still do everything with pencil and a legal pad. Oh, really? But You handwrite all your... Handwrite everything. Uh, But as I'm propelling the pencil across the page, ideas about the case occur to me, ideas about the reasoning. It's almost as if the the pencil has a logic of its own. Hmm. And the same thing happens in fiction writing. So in that sense, there is an element of discovery Hmm. in the very act of writing. Hmm. Now, obviously, though, there are genre differences between the two. There are certain requirements of fiction writing that don't exist in when I'm updating a treatise or writing a law review article. Hmm. I have to compel the reader to turn the page. There isn't a client paying her to turn the page and finish my my analysis of, of an area of law. Uh, I have to incorporate conflict. Hmm. Conflict is what drives fiction. Hmm. And so, and I have to do a lot of, even though the, the pencil propels the story, before I sit down to write a scene, I've thought through quite carefully, not what's gonna happen in the scene, but what the basic conflict between the characters is going to be, hmm. the nature of that conflict. Hmm. Now, since you since you said your first love was always fiction, why didn't you just become a writer instead of becoming a lawyer? Basically because I'm a coward. <laughs> uh, gosh, you know, to be a writer back then, in let's say the 60s when I was getting uh, out of high school uh, or out of college, uh, was a difficult life. Hmm. And... It's more difficult now yeah, to be a say. professional writer, right, right. much more difficult. But even then, it was a scary enterprise. Mm. Uh, and also, in the back of my mind was my mother's statement, write what you know about. You know, a lot, writers will, although a lot of professional writers now will go through writing programs and they learn about writing there. But I think there was a fundamental sense, apart from my cowardice, uh, that I needed to know something about mm, the world. Mm, mm. And law is a great thing to mm, know. I, mm. I fell in love in law school with copyright. I took it because I wasn't crazy about law school after my first year and mm. decided if I'm going to stay here, I'm going to find an area that I love. And so I picked an area that was closest to what I really loved, which was literature, mm, motion pictures, mm, and music. And then, independent of that, just fell in love with copyright. Mm-hmm. It's a uh, field, well, you know about it. Uh, it's a field that just has a charm, personalities mm-hmm. all its own. I was going to school, as you, as you know, at Columbia mm-hmm. in New York. And so there's a group there called the Copyright Luncheon Circle that met once a month. Mm-hmm. So all these copyright mm-hmm. lawyers in Manhattan. And what a fascinating, mm-hmm. humane, mm-hmm. interesting group. Mm-hmm 
mm-hmm. of people. Mm-hmm. And so I fell in love with the field and had no trouble uh, making a professional life, a very enjoyable professional life out of copyright. Now, have you tried dabbling in something completely different in fiction that's not related to all the law, like just something completely different? Or Great question. I've thought about it. Uh, and it might happen because mm-hmm. obviously I read wonderful, uh, wonderful novels that have nothing to do uh, with law, and that may well that may well happen. Although I was thinking about it being the next novel after this trademark themed one that I'm doing now, but then the first line of a another novel. Uh, occurred to me that is could be rooted in law, and whether that sticks, mm-hmm. uh, we we will see. What do you find? What is different about writing fiction versus nonfiction? Is it? I mean, obviously, one is more creative. You talked about creating drama, yeah. But what about the actual writing process? Is it more difficult? I mean, in fiction, you have dialogue. Yeah. In nonfiction, you don't. I mean, tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, I don't know that I've observed that kind of difference. Uh, I think it's more, certainly dialogue is important. I've been fortunate in that dialogue comes naturally Hmm. to me. I know a lot of people struggle with it and have to work very hard at it. I go through, uh, like I was just doing some revisions this morning, uh, and I will go through dialogue and I'll sharpen it, uh, make it more concrete, make it more natural or apparently natural. Really, when you, if you look at dialogue in a novel, it's really not the way people speak. Right. It's the way when we read, we think people speak. Right, right. And so I work at it, but it hasn't been a struggle. Hmm. Do you write in the third person or the first person? I have been uh, writing in what we call the close third person, where it is the third person, but I quickly get into... And the third person being the hero is always through his point of view, mm-hmm. uh, except in the Supreme Court novel where I have two points of view. I alternate between the Supreme Court justice and a family uh, that is party to one of the two cases mm-hmm. that uh, he's wrestling with. Uh, but again, it's through the point of view of the mother mm-hmm. in that family. Uh, but it is third person, but it's close third person. And I started writing the book in the first person. I said, this will be fun. Uh, and it's first person present tense, which you know, Scott Turow does, if you think of presumed innocent, part of the, it's a wonderful, wonderful book, and part of the immediacy of that book is that it's first person present tense. There's mm-hmm. nothing more compelling than mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. And so I, just, I thought I would try the Supreme Court book that way. And I ran into structural difficulties doing it because I was alternating it with the point of view of this other person. Mm. And it became too complex, so I fell back on this close third person mm. notion. Mm. Uh, the The fifth novel uh, will probably be first person because it's just going to be one one point of view. What is the hardest thing for you when you're writing fiction? Is it, I mean, is it coming up with the ideas? I mean, what is the hardest thing for you in, f- in writing fiction? The hardest thing is keeping the action moving across the page, mm. uh, creating transitions that that work. Mm. You know, at the beginning of the scene, 
that you want to get from a point A to point M. Mm -hmm. And you know that the scene needs to resolve in a certain way. But how do you get from A to M in a way that is natural? Mm. You know, when we write a brief, uh, we'll have, you know, section one, A, B, C, D, E, and here are five separate points mm -hmm. that are connected. There's a logical, logical connection, and in a good brief, we make that connection, and we try to tell the brief itself as a compelling story. There's a big difference between that kind of orderly organization mm. in a brief or in a treatise and the organization of a scene, which has to be much more organic. Mm. And that's a real challenge to have an odd thing happening mm. uh, in a scene, which you want to put there to jolt the reader, mm. Mm. but it has to belong, in a, it mm. belongs in a certain place mm. and nowhere else. I find that really challenging. What about the other characters? Do you base them on people that you know, or how do you develop the other characters? It's, again, it's a great, great question. I really don't think about that. Hmm. I know that you know, characters are amazing. And the first novel that I wrote after that aborted effort at age 13, <laughs> uh, a novel that still sits in a file drawer somewhere, and I, I've used it for spare parts. I'm using it for spare parts right, right now. I knew that I had a character who I had a fairly good sense of. And actually, he was sort of based on a lawyer I knew in Buffalo, New York. Uh, but he had to have a girlfriend or a wife, someone to speak with. And so I created what I thought was going to be a stick figure, uh, someone for uh, Carmelo to talk with. And I don't know where it came from, Richard, but this character blossomed Hmm. The stick figure blossomed into a character who basically took over the book. Hmm. And I, I have no idea where she came from. Hmm. I've since used her or a version of her in the Supreme Court book, Secret Justice. Hmm. Uh, she is the other voice, the voice other than the Supreme Court Justice. And she has a very strong voice. Hmm. But, you know, I don't know anyone in the real world uh, who is the counterpart to this woman. Hmm. I just had her in conversation with her husband in this first book, and she has a husband in this second book, and through the conversation and the conflict between them, she just blossomed mm. into this figure. Mm. That happens more often than not. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. Now, did your mother ever get a chance to read one of your books? Oh, yeah. Uh, she got through, she died a couple of years ago at age 100. Wow. <laughs> so she had a chance to uh, to see them all, but yeah, but the fourth one, she got through the, the Cuba book. Oh, interesting. As well. And she enjoyed them as well? She enjoyed them. Uh, <laughs> again, she's a great, she was a great fiction reader, uh, and I, I think she was very pleased very pleased with that. So do you think, kind of looking back, I mean, I realize yeah. you didn't think you could be a professional writer, but if, if, assuming you could have been a writer and made a living, do you think you would have enjoyed, do you think you would have preferred just being a, a pure fictional writer and not done the legal career, or oh. you're glad that you did that anyways? I, the answer is a definitive no. Mm. I, I love writing. Uh, I love law teaching. And I love practicing law. Mm. I think 
I just think I'm so fortunate. I, you know, I can't write fiction more than four or five hours a day. And from the full-time writers I talk with, fiction writers I talk with, I say, you know, how many hours do you do writing a day? And they all say four to five, mm-hmm. uh, unless you're under some kind of deadline, and then you can crank out a week's uh, worth of work with full days. And I asked myself, I said, well, you know, if I've got four or five hours a day in me of fiction writing, what else would I do with my time? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So this way, I can fill up my day with... Uh, I'm doing a new edition of one of my case books. It's what's sitting on my desk right now. So I'll do that. But in the back of my mind, I've got a problem that I'm trying to work through on the fourth chapter of this new, uh, this new novel. Mm. And so I have some notes, and they sit there. And you know, probably this evening I'll get home, and I'll begin noodling with them. Mm. But I don't have to tear my hair out during the day with the only question on my mind being, you know, how do I resolve mm. this issue in chapter four? Mm. <laughs> I've got this new edition of the case book to do. I have other things. I have client uh, issues on the desk. I've got lots to keep me mm. busy. Mm. It sounds like a pretty nice variety. Yeah. Do you have a list of or do you keep a stack of ideas for future novels? Yeah. Or? Yeah, okay. uh-huh. yeah. One of the... Uh, reasons writing a new novel is not scary for me is that it's happened that halfway through whatever my current fiction project is, I'll get an idea for the next one and I'll just mark a file folder and random moments I'll jot down, often at three or four in the morning, I'll jot down thoughts. Mm -hmm. And by the time I get around to writing the novel, I have a folder that's maybe two to three inches thick of ideas. I'll get rid of half of them because they just don't make any sense. But the core is there. Anybody's interested? Has anybody contacted making a movie out of any of these books? We had an option on the second book, uh, the patent book. And nego- that was that was a uh, an experience because the negotiating the option agreement, which I didn't do directly, I have a lawyer uh, in uh, Los Angeles who, who does these things. Uh, negotiating that contract took about as much time as writing the novel. <laughs> it it just stretched out over. Oh. The, the novel must have taken me a year, year and a half. It stretched out almost over a year. Mm. And as you know, options rarely uh, materialize into uh, into films. But uh, it had real filmic elements to it, huh. as do all the books. I think the, a friend of mine in the, uh, writing, in the creative writing department at the university who has read the Supreme Court book mm. said this is this is going to be a good motion picture. Mm, so mm. we shall see. Mm. Well, Paul, I really appreciate your coming in and chatting about your novels. When you finish that last novel, you'll have to come back and tell me about it. Wonderful. It was a pleasure, Richard. Thank you. This is Richard Chu and Paul Goldstein. Mm-hmm.